On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the experiences that we've shared as women lawyers. From sexism in court to social perceptions of women lawyers and even some misperceptions, along with the double standards that women lawyers face. That's next on the Lady Lawyer League. Welcome to the Lady Lawyer League podcast. They're a league of lady lawyers in an all-female law firm in Omaha, Nebraska called Hightower Ref Law. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of what it's like to be a lady lawyer and an entrepreneur. Now it's time to talk about the law, share real-life stories about representing clients, and discuss the current events of the week. It's the Lady Lawyer League podcast with Susan Ref and Tracy Hightower-Henny. With me today is Joy Katharima. And welcome back, Joy. Hello. Happy to be back. And really exciting stuff happening around here. We just celebrated Joy's one-year anniversary with our law firm, law Aversary. Yes, my law Aversary. I am now officially a one year into my practice of being a lawyer. Golf clap. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Um, and then we also celebrated my 20th year anniversary of being a lawyer. Yes. So. Yes. Golf claps again. <laughs> Seal claps. It. So I have been an attorney for 20 years, but I have been with Hightower Ref Law. We are going into our 10th year. So that will be coming up in 2022. Um, but 20 years overall of practicing and one year overall of practicing. Yes. And we had a great, E. Creamery did a great truck in our parking lot for Susan's anniversary it was delicious their cookies and their ice cream and it was a beautiful day to celebrate yeah ice cream and cookies are uh my i mean i clearly so this is what i said to people clearly i have a sweet tooth (laughs) when i got to pick what i wanted for the party and i said ice cream and then i i really wanted to work with e-creamery because it's a woman-owned business it's a locally owned business not a chain um, and I know they had partnered with Carson's Cookie Fix and they do like cookies and ice cream. I mean, who doesn't love cookies and who doesn't love ice cream? Mm-hmm. They were a hit. Everyone loved them. Yeah. And the combinations were so good. So good. Yeah. And it's not just like chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. Mm-hmm. It was some gourmet ice cream flavors. Mm-hmm. I think I'm still recovering from the sugar and the dairy, though. Yeah, they were very generous with those scoops of ice cream. Like when I got mine, I was like, oh my gosh, I I already knew. I was like, this is too much dairy for me. But you know what? You only live once, right? And people were ordering like they were saying, can I have a smaller size for my kid? And even those were giant. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of ice cream. Mm -hmm. Aaron's daughter, one of them, she like scooped up the whole scoop of ice cream (laughs) by herself and confidently Got it to her mouth. Didn't drip that much, surprisingly, but for a two-year-old. Did she put it in her mouth, like the whole thing? She couldn't put it all oh. in her mouth, but she really, she tried. She <laughs> That's really so tried. awesome. Mm-hmm. That Well, and we wanted to have an event that would be family-friendly. Um, so ice cream, of course, is always family-friendly versus going to the bar. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so how did, how did you celebrate your one year? I don't think I'd actually did anything special specifically for that day it felt surreal because it feels like the year either has gone by really fast or really slow depending on how I view it because it doesn't feel like I've been here for a year or been in practice for a year but when I look back at the calendar I'm like yeah I guess a year did pass I don't know if I feel 
I feel like I knew more than I did, but I still don't feel like I know that much sometimes. So still getting the hang of it. Well, I'll tell you, at 20 years, I feel like I know less than I probably did in the beginning because you and and people say this all the time as you get more into your career you start to recognize things that you just glossed over before because you're better at looking for details mm-hmm. so every day i i feel like i learn something new or i see something and i'm like wow i've been doing that wrong all along or i missed that in all of those other cases so um hopefully I can help you too to maybe see some of these things sooner in yes. your career than later. Yeah. But a couple of the things we wanted to chat about was kind of a comparison of what it's been like for Joy, you know, and what it's been like for me when we first started. And then I can kind of juxtapose like, oh, well, after 20 years, has that changed? Is it the same? And some some good things and some challenges maybe that we have both experienced and maybe in in the same ways or different ways because we're different people Mm -hmm. um and joy went to university of nebraska college of law is that how they say it university yes university of nebraska college of law i said it correctly yes and so coming out of there you know Coming to Omaha to practice, I know there's kind of this whole thing like, well, Omaha is full of Creighton lawyers. Did you feel like that at all? Or have you felt that? I haven't felt that as much as I thought I would. Um, There is that stigma very much so associated that like Omaha, like if you want to practice in Omaha, you should go to Creighton. If you want to practice in Lincoln or in greater Nebraska, then you're going to go to the University of Nebraska. Um, I haven't necessarily found that to be true but I guess I also don't ask a lot of the other like opposing councils where they went to law school so I don't know if they're Creighton grads or not but I will say there are far more Creighton grads up here than Nebraska grads though our office now has more Nebraska grads than Creighton grads so GBR (laughs) Um, but yeah I I don't think the I feel like a lot of the judges up here though are from Creighton versus the judges in Lincoln yeah. are a lot of Nebraska grads. Judges wise, mm-hmm. for sure. Do do people ask you? No one has asked me. They I've had a couple of people ask me when I graduated, and I mean I think that's a product of just looking young, um, and which is I mean fair. But some of them, you know, they're I, if they've been practicing for a while, I'm sure they're not going to tell me. But some of them will be like, you know, I've been doing this for longer than you've been alive, and I'm like congrats for you I guess like that's really great but it doesn't mean that you know more than me all of the time or that you are automatically right because of that but well let's talk about that comment like I've been doing this longer than you've been alive I mean that isn't the answer of well how long have you been practicing law like right that's there's there's a motive behind that and the motive I think is probably to tell you that they think they're great and they're better than you and that there's no way you could know as much as them. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely more of an intimidation thing than yeah. trying to be like, oh, this is a collegial thing about how much we've been in practice. It's definitely, yeah. uh, I'm, I know more. It's like um, how in Matilda, like he's like, I'm bigger than you, I'm smarter than you, I know more than you. Yeah. Like It feels like that, than, yeah. more so than it's supposed to be like, yeah, I have been around and I have things that I could share or tips that I could teach you about yeah. how to get into the practice of law or how to make the transition smoother. 
does not feel like that. Yeah, it's like a bullying tactic kind of veiled as conversation. Yes. Or like a little jokey thing, Mm -hmm. which is so stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm guessing, I'm just going to guess, Joy, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that most of the people who've said that to you are men. Yes, they have (laughs) been. They have been men. I have had a couple women call me like hun or babe, which is disconcerting because I'm like I don't know you like that my mother does not call me any pet name so it's weird that you as a woman I do not know are calling me a pet name also why (laughs) and for what reason or purpose but um it definitely feels like one of those like this is supposed to be like girl boss stuff and I'm like yeah no this is just weird because I don't know you and pet names seem weirdly personal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it, it has been men who have talked about how long they've been in practice versus women who do that. I think women are generally like, "Oh, that's really cool. That's great that you're already in pra- you're already here doing your own like hearing or whatever." But Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I was a brand new lawyer, I worked at the public defender's office um, right out of law school. And so immediately, you know, I walk in the door and they're like, here's your caseload, go to town, you know, court's over there, which was great for me because that's what I wanted. I wanted to be in the courtroom, but I immediately got questioned by my clients like, well, you're not, you can't be very experienced or you're very young. Like this, is this your first case? Have you ever had a trial? Like things like that. And sometimes the answer had to be yes, like, yes, this is my first trial. Like, everybody has to have their first trial or their first hearing or their first case. And, you know, one of the things with the public defender's office that I think people don't think about is, I mean, I was in the courtroom every single day, day in, day out. The judges knew me. The judges knew kind of like how I was going to approach a case. So... To say like I wasn't experienced was crazy talk Um, because right away, I mean, after being a a week in the public defender's office, I probably had more trial and courtroom experience than someone maybe even a year who's in private practice just because of the nature of the caseload. So I I would say that to people all the time. And after a while, I just kind of would say, well, you know, I'm the attorney that the judge appointed to represent you. So... This is what you get. And if we sit here talking about this, we're wasting our time. Like, let's just talk about your case. And it's kind of that idea, too, of sometimes people deflecting a little bit to like, I don't want to talk about me because I did something wrong. I want to talk about you. Do you feel like after a couple of years, it got better where people stopped asking you how long you'd been doing it? Yeah. And I, you know, I developed my like routine of how I would talk to people. And I basically when people would start to talk like that. And even now, when people badmouth public defenders, I kind of let them know, like, I'm not I'm not listening to that. Um, You know, there's this kind of thought of like once a PD, always a PD because you you have that mindset. And, you know, we'll get calls here. Someone like will want us to be their lawyer instead of their public defender and they'll talk bad about him. And I am like, I'm not putting up with that. And Mm -hmm. like those are things that just you learn over time, like. Well, I could let them talk and talk and talk and talk and I could try to reason with them and blah, 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 but it's just not going to work. So, but I, I remember when I was a brand new attorney, people would comment on how young they thought I looked. And in my head, I didn't feel like I looked incredibly young or anything, but I remember my dad and I were talking and he was like, you, you look younger than you are and you need to 
portray that you're an attorney like right off the bat. And so when I was a new lawyer, I always wore a suit. Never, never did I not wear a suit. I mean, I was like in a matching suit too. Like it was like pants, jacket, skirt, jacket, blouse, like because I didn't ever want to not be perceived as the attorney. Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting because <clears throat> I think that perception carries over in different ways for me because I think one, being a woman, and then two, being a black woman means that the ways that in which I'm perceived in the courtroom are different. So it's like depending on how I style my hair. I mean, you know, I have a nose ring. The judges don't know that because I'm still wearing a mask in the courtroom right now because of COVID. But those things that are whether is is this professional or is this not professional right. are these considerations that I need to take like when I get my braids I'm like well I like my braids like right now I have like blonde braids I f- keep forgetting that word. you can't people can't people see can't me. see yeah. us but like right now I have like ombre to blonde braids and I love this color on me but it's like I had the thought I'm like is this professional or is it not and I'm like well I like it and I will still be a good lawyer with how whatever way yeah. my hair looks or whether I decide to wear a head wrap or not. And I think that, you know, the ways in which women are like asked to be professional or think about professionalism are not necessarily the same way like male attorneys might have to think about it. Right. Because for them, it's like there's only one style of suit you can wear. Right. <laughs> you know, you can add a funky sock or add a funky tie. But it's like women, it's like, OK, if you decide to wear like a uh, dress versus a pants suit versus a skirt suit versus no pantyhose and hose versus heels versus no heels it's like there's so many factors and I remember in um our trial ad class they had talked about how like jury perceptions of the way that they consider women attorneys and how they prefer like what does their nail color look like Mm -hmm. what you know like what are they wearing makeup did they put blush on did they are they wearing a skirt suit with heels with pantyhose because that seems more attorney like than a woman in a pants suit right it's like who cares like I'm still your attorney like obviously I'll look I'll wear a suit to court but a pantsuit versus a skirt suit yeah but it's interesting that it's still it's still pervasive in the ways in which professionalism and how women have to be taken seriously on that line too I know a lot of attorneys who do a lot of jury trial work who are single people will wear a wedding ring for their jury trials men and women because they've been told that people perceive people who are married to be more trustworthy and some people who are married just don't even wear a ring right um so a lot of them just have like a, a band that they'll wear just so there's like this perception that they're a trustworthy person so you should listen to me and you know find in my favor so, that's so interesting yeah it's like what makes marriage <laughs> right because someone who liked you enough to marry you that you you're now more trustworthy like that's yeah. funny to me but it's interesting that that's like the perception like attorneys know that and are like okay yeah. for me to get a favorable outcome for my client I also need to be doing xyz including wearing a fake wedding ring if I'm not married right so interesting one of the, you know, the big misconceptions I had when I became an attorney, and I think we chatted a little about this, is that like everyone would come to work or come to a case equally prepared. You know, everyone was going to be collegial, you know, those kinds of things. You know, have you had those experiences, too? Yes, absolutely. I think that the perception of attorneys generally is that like, you know, they're super smart, super hardworking, super, like know their stuff. And then 
in law because law school doesn't teach you how to become a lawyer you know they teach you how to think like a lawyer I think that's the brand like the the little sticker point for it but you don't actually learn the intricacies of it until you're in it and I think that there's some attorneys who, who I think the perception by clients is like you know everyone's on it or you're their only case so you're yes. always only communicating about their case and they'll be like well why haven't you received a response from my spouse's opposing counsel I'm like they don't have to respond to me it would right. be nice if they did that would make the case a lot easier if they did but they're not obligated to respond to settlement letters or they're not obligated to respond in a timely manner even if I'm responding to my client in a timely manner They could wait three weeks to get back to our email request. And I think that part can sometimes feel frustrating because you're like, I come to work to do my job and do it well for my clients. And whether I think that the opposing counsel is not doing their job well by responding, you know, super late or not responding at all, it's frustrating from our client. Our clients have to explain that to them. And then they're just like, well, so I just have to wait. And I'm like, yeah, like I can't go to the court and order that he communicate right. with me right like, it's like he'll they'll respond or they won't but yeah, yeah I think that the pedestal that attorneys are put on I don't know if it's well deserved <laughs> right I I I I've I've had those same challenges joy with my clients and you know you'll you'll call the other side and you'll leave a message or you'll email them with something kind of simple even and no you know crickets for weeks sometimes and I think I don't like I don't like to walk out the door at the end of the day with a lot of loose ends, like things not done, and especially easy things. So to to practice where you're basically ignoring people, um, and I I know we're the other side, but like to just ignore us is it's that is just foreign to me, and I don't mm-hmm. think anyone here practices that way. And the idea of just like I- I'm just not going to respond. <laughs> And then, yeah, like then the client is saying to us, why is this taking so long? I don't know. I mean, we could sit around and try to figure it out. I mean, sometimes there's valid reasons, you know, health issues, deaths and families, you know, kids sick, whatever. But there's also just people are lazy or it's not a priority. And I mean, I'm at the point now where I'll tell people like, well, in my experience working with this attorney, this is normal. Mm hmm. You know, they don't respond right away. They they're gonna make us hound them. And then and then we have to decide, are we going to spend our clients' time and money and chase down that other lawyer? Because every time we do that, you know, that's work on the case where we have to bill. Or is it better to just kind of wait, lay low? Hopefully that other person's gonna get around to it. You know, like that's a decision we have to make. Yeah. That and that balance is so hard to find because it's like you're trying to get to a outcome or case closure yeah and then yeah because you're spending your clients money and if the other the opposing party just does not or opposing counsel just is like I'll get to you when I get to you which is fine obviously no one's entitled to anyone's time but it can be it's incredibly frustrating to deal with and that part I think was the hardest part of transitioning into it was like I assumed that other people would be respectful of others time or my Mm -hmm. time and that's not the case it's like you, you kind of have to put the value on your own time and be like, okay, well, I did this for my client. I can't control what the other person does with it. Right. Very, almost therapy-like. Like, I can't control other people's actions. Right. I've done what I can for my client's right. case in this situation. And I'll, until I hear back a response or our next hearing date, then 
we'll have to figure it out or what our next steps should be. Along those same lines, one of the things that um, I have learned over the years that's similar is, you know, people always say, well, don't take things personally. And And I don't really think I take things personally, but like there's a way to walk into court and be a really strong advocate for your client and poke holes in my case and tell the judge why my case is not as strong as their case. There's a way to do that that isn't just ridiculous and there's some lawyers who it it's not personal but you just can't respect them anymore mm-hmm. you know you walk out and then they walk out and they're like hey you know what'd you do last weekend and you're like shut up I don't I mean like and it's not me taking it personally it's just me now thinking like are you kidding like I'm not gonna sit and chit chat with you after you took your argument to that level mm-hmm. um and even if they didn't make it personal but they're just so outrageously attacking us um you know like i've had i've had other attorneys you know pretty much say that we're lying um when we're not lying we're strong advocates for our clients you know i mean i would never you know put forth false evidence to a judge knowing that it was not true now i did i did i'll tell the story i did have a trial one time where my client had given me all these emails between him and his ex. And I presented them as evidence and they looked a little funky. You know how sometimes emails print out different depending on the platform. Right. And she was like, I never sent those emails. That I never saw that, what he wrote. And I never, I never um, responded like, cause it was the chain, you know, both parties. And after a while, I I started to think that my client was had given me stuff he made up, you know, like he could just type it out on Word and make it or whatever and make it look like an email. And I was like, this is terrible. Like, yeah. this is horrible. I, but I didn't know that at first. Like, I had no idea that she, she was going to say that. What do you do in that situation? Do you just tell the judge that you think that this is not real? Well, when I I think it was like mid trial where I got to the point of like, I yeah I mean she can't say that like and these weren't really like that big of a deal emails either um I just was like I'm not gonna offer any more of these emails you know I just said I'm not doing this anymore and then we the case was over and he didn't get what he wanted and he came back later and wanted to hire us for a modification and I was like we're not taking your case you know you've got to find a different attorney Mm -hmm. so um but you know when lawyers like act so self-righteous in the courtroom and so and then they want to like be chummy with you after Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've had that experience yet or you've seen that as a trend but it it happens a lot yeah (laughs) i think mine is sometimes the communication by email comes off maybe snarkier or ruder and you know everyone can you can read any tone into an email yeah and then how versus how opposing counsel is in person and so i'm always just like which one are you like are is the person who's very nice to me in court or the person who sounds a little bit rude in email like who who actually are you as a person or as an attorney right and which one should i be preparing for to be arguing against or yeah. should i be a little bit more aggressive or can we have a conversation where it'll be you know, the results will be what the results will be that the judge decides, but it'll still be amicable. I think that part's been interesting for me. 
One of the things I can say that I think has changed in the 20 years that I've been practicing now, I started practicing as a criminal defense attorney and then I started doing family law um, after being a criminal defense attorney for seven years. And what I can say is when I started practicing, there was definitely a presumption in custody cases that kids should be with mom most of the time. And that change came probably 10, 12 years ago, I think. But I think there's still a perception of people who don't come to court very often or at all ever that, that, that that's still out there. You know, like dads are like, I'll never get custody or I'm assuming she's going to get custody. And, um, you know, I think now at least, you know, in the, in the counties where we practice, most of our judges look at a case and say, you know, these, these people have been parenting their kid for however long the kid's been around, you know, if the kid's three for three years, there's no reason that just because they're splitting up that that should change unless there's a really good reason, you know, and that's really hard to explain to clients too, because generally one of them feels like they've done most of the parenting. Absolutely. And I think, especially once people get riled up in whatever Facebook groups, their (laughs) friends, group chats who are like, you're going to get the kids a hundred percent of the time. He's going to have to pay child support, alimony, all of these things. And then you spend most of the consult being like, well, that's not true. Your friends went to Google School of Law. Google will tell you whatever Google wants you yeah, to hear. Whatever yeah. you want to hear, you can find yeah. it. And so it's you spend a lot of time like unworking that and being like, no, more likely than not, the two of you will have joint custody. Like yeah. everyone should have access to their kids if they're a good parent. Yeah. And the bar to be a good parent by the law is pretty low. So it's basically a, you're either abusing your kid or you're a good parent. Or you're a good parent. There's no like yeah. Yeah. So them not taking kids to doctor's appointments, that's not enough for them to not have custody. Right. Right. They're terrible with money. OK. Um, you know, did they still have a roof over their kid's head and mm-hmm. food on the table? OK. They're not a bad parent. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think some of those just gender stereotypes kind of in general maybe are changing um, and more, you know, I don't know, like was your law school class equal men and women or? Yeah, ours was a little bit more women than men. I think the last couple classes at the law school were like that, where there was yeah. more women than men, um, but not by a lot. It was, it was close. It was pretty close to 50-50, though. I heard a statistic that more women start law school, um, less women finish law school, and then even less women actually work as attorneys. And I wonder, you know, and they they talk a lot about the, you know, demands of being an attorney on women and especially women who want to have families and the, you know, it. I mean, it is a male dominated field still to mm-hmm. this day. And to for anyone to say that it's not, I don't know what, what la la land they're living in, but, you know, just even, even be, basically because we're being judged on how we look when we go into the courtroom and how we, you know present our case all of that Mm -hmm. when it shouldn't be that way but um you know women end up either not using their law degree or kind of like flexing to something that is like a lateral to being a lawyer like a lot of women work in insurance with law degrees I think they work as in-house counsel um so they're still lawyering but they're not 
the traditional the lawyer. Traditional lawyer, yeah. yeah. It, it, and it makes sense because it's like a, a lot of law does require a lot of after hours work if you're prepping yes. for a trial. And I think the work-life balance part was, has been the most interesting thing of trying to develop in this first year. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about too is, so I'm, I'm married, you're not married, but when I started my legal career, I was unmarried and I was dating and it was really interesting how people reacted in social settings when I would say I was a lawyer. Men and women, but mostly men. Mm-hmm. You know, like you would meet people and they're, you know, people to get to talking, like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a lawyer. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the O with the high, with the little lilt in it. That's the reaction every time. I, to, I told my doctors and my nurse at my doctor's, she's like, oh, you're a lawyer. And I'm like, don't say it like that. I was like, yeah. it's not, I did work hard to get here. It's not that I'm saying I didn't, but it's like after being in practice, I'm like, there's some people who make it here that I'm like, how did you make it here too? Because I yeah. felt like I worked really hard and here you are like, what are you Skating doing? along. Yeah. So it's interesting and you know, when dating, I don't, I've talked with some of my other friends who are lawyers who are also dating and they've talked about how, uh, particularly if they're dating men, that it can sometimes scare some men off when you yes. say that you're a lawyer because they're like, oh, you, there's <laughs> <laughs> oh. an old with a downward oh. shift. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. Because either they think you make more money than them or you have, you know, yes. a higher status career or whatever the case is. And it's like, or you're a crazy, powerful, aggressive bitch. Yes. Or that part. <laughs> that part. You're like, you're going to get yeah. dominated. Maybe. I don't know, dude. Yeah. Like, if you're not confident in yourself, then it's never going to work with anybody. But sure. Yeah. Feel some type of way about it. So when I met my husband, um, we were in a social setting and we were, we got past the, who are you? What are you? How are, like, what's your name? Blah, blah, blah. That stuff. And he was like, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I said, I'm a lawyer. And he was like, oh, do you know judge so-and-so? And he said this judge's name. And I said, well, yeah, it was one of the district court judges. And my husband had just gotten divorced. <laughs> and that was his judge. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to talk smack about the judge, <laughs> which was a little bit of a different experience than I'd had with other people. But I was in one social setting. I had this group of friends and there was like, you know, five to 10 of us that would go out on the weekends. And we went to this party and it was I think it was a holiday party. And there was a group of people kind of sitting around kind of quiet, more quietly talking. And I was in that group and it got, you know, talking about what people did. And I was a public defender at the time. And this guy really wanted to challenge me about how could I represent those people? And he got, he was so attacking towards me that people in this group started to like leave like the little circle area where we were sitting and like go like, well, this is really uncomfortable and he's totally attacking her. So I'm going to go back over there where the people are talking about, you know, Christmas parties and New Year's Eve and like fun stuff. And, you know, most, so at the time, you know, I got, I would be super defensive, you know, like, well, everybody has a right to have an attorney. And now I think if I was in that position, I would just be like, well, if you don't understand, you know, it's not for me to make you understand, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's interesting in those social settings, like when someone learns that you're a lawyer and then they're like, well, I just have a quick question. Oh my gosh. And you're like, and then they'll either, sometimes they'll ask you a question in an area, they'll, they'll ask me a question about like their workers comp or something. And I'm like, 
I don't practice that area. Yeah. And they're like, but you're a lawyer. I'm like, yeah. here's the thing. I was like, there's a lot of areas of law. I was like, you and I both know the same amount of that of information about that specific yeah. issue. I could just tell you where you need to file your complaint. That's about it. Yeah. It's and or the messages. I think we were talking like the messages on Facebook that you oh. get or after I got barred, I got a couple messages from people I went to high school with who I had not spoken to since I went to high school with who were like, hey, I just had a quick question. And I'm literally like, I don't know anything. I just took yeah. the bar. I know zero percent of anything. But here's here here's a Google resource that I found from a quick Google search. And well, it helps you. Yeah, I mean, and we talk a lot about that here too. Like, if someone reaches out to you in a social setting, like you're at a party, or they're texting you, or they're using you know social media to reach out to you, and they ask you a substantive legal question, like they're not our client first. It might not be our area of the law. Second, we don't know all the facts. I mean, think about like when we take on a new client, we have done a full hour consultation with them. We've reviewed documents that they've given us and that we can find online if there's already an open case. It's like, and even then we are just starting to formulate the case. And these people are like, text, text, text. Okay, what should I do? And you're like, uh, there's so much more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, we talked a little bit in our, one of our lawyer meetings about how should we respond? Yes. Is it, and Tracy had a situation, I think she told us about where someone kind of danced around like, Hey, can, can I, uh, do you have time to answer a quick question for me? And she was like, well, I'm really busy. You know, can you tell me a little bit more about what it is so I can maybe help you? And she's like, well, it's a family matter. And Tracy's like, Oh my gosh, like, is that going to be a legal question or is that like, I know this person yeah. sort of a surprise party that yeah. you want to tell me about? Yeah. Or you're, mm-hmm. you, you know, so it's like how, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are doctors and nurses and work in the medical. I would never think to Facebook message them and say like, here's my problem. What should I do? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do do that because my mom's a nurse, so I'll, my texts will be like a rapid fire, like, this is, this is everything that's wrong with me, please diagnose me. But that she is also your mother. birthed me. That is yeah. your mother. She birthed me, so it's like a different situation than just a random yes. Facebook friend where you're like, yeah. hey, give me this time of yours that is very important, or messaging you like on the weekend or something, yes. and then being upset that you're not responding, it's like, you're asking me to give you like a free consultation yeah. with my own personal time as though I don't have things that I'm trying to do that I enjoy with my friends and right. family. So Right. Just because you thought of it in the middle of your Sunday doesn't mean I have to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, we talk a lot about why. Why do people do this to lawyers? And, you know, we don't make anything. You know, we don't fix We don't like climb under your sink and fix your leaky pipe. So there's not something to like look at at the end of the day. And we didn't make you a product and give it to you and then you give us money. So people think it's just so much easier to just be like, eh, can I pick your brain? Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't have a product. We're yeah. a service you know, profession. And our product is often just like paperwork. Like it's not something that necessarily like a doctor will heal like you know they'll put a band-aid or yes. you'll, you'll physically feel better after you yeah. have surgery but it's like ours it's like okay we helped you through this really difficult time maybe five years from now you'll feel better but will you yes. think of your lawyer when no. you feel better you know so it's Heck like no they 
there's no correlation to what we're doing to help that yes. in that like tangible way that yeah. some other professions have. I I I flip flop between we're a hired brain and we're a hired mouth mouthpiece <laughs> speaker yes. for yeah. our clients <laughs> because they're hiring us for our knowledge and our ability to advocate for them in court. So, um, you know, I think lesson learned for some people is if you know anybody who's a lawyer, if you want their help, schedule a consultation, pay them for it, just yes. like you would any other professional. Yeah. Ask them, where do they work? What is the phone number for your office? And that's all you need a message. Yes. And then go from there for making your appointment. Yeah. Um. I want I wanted to circle back to your comment about the pet name thing. <laughs> I didn't jump in right away, but so this has not happened to me where older women lawyers have used pet names towards me. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested. I want more details. One was during a phone call and then one was via email. And it was just, I think... For the email other per- yeah. pet name? I think for, for, for the other person during the phone call, it definitely sounded like it was just like a, that's just their how they talk and weren't thinking, you know, what they were saying or what, like, it wasn't intended to be like a belittle. A, a, yeah, like a pat on the head. Okay. It was more just like, yep, thanks, babe. Like, and, you know, moving oh. on. But. Babe. Yeah, but it was just like, it was like, <laughs> I was just like kind of startled by it. I think this one, they called me hun. And I was just like. Hun, I was like yeah. left a little bit like um I know that that probably spit, like <laughs> slipped out but it was very much so I was like I'm not your hun and don't call me that but it, well because it, I didn't even I, think to say it in the time of like don't call me that yeah I can think of um one female attorney who's been practicing probably 15 20 years more than me even and she's from the south and she just plays that you know that role really well and mm-hmm. I think she calls everybody some you know name mm-hmm. besides their actual name and she has a very deep southern drawl and I, I'm not sure if that's who it was yeah, but it was not okay but, and that one would have been that one could have almost had a pass because it's like okay that's just where you're from yeah I get it culturally I get it but this one I was just like what is happening? Like, and it happened so quickly that it was just like, after I hung up, I was like, did she just call me hun? And then I was like, she did. I was like, that's weird. I was like, what yeah. should I have said? I was like, well, it's too late now. Yeah. But you noticed it. I did notice yeah. it. I did notice it. And it's just like different things like that, like that kind of play into what it's like feeling like a new attorney. Like, um, yeah. you know, you and I have talked about, and I've talked about even with Deanna too, particularly as attorneys of color, what that feels like. Yeah. And, you know, my last name is not difficult. I don't think it's difficult, but it's been a kind of a recurring issue where judges don't know how to say my name or they'll say it wrong. And then I have to correct them. And I correct them every time because it's my name. I was given to it by my parents. I feel very strongly about my name and I love my name and, you know, people should pronounce it correctly. And so, you know, and there's, and the judges who have mispronounced it have been, you know, taking it kindly when I've said, no, it's Katharima. That's how you say it. Yeah. If anyone is out there, Katharima, exactly how it's spelled. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it just, it look, maybe it looks difficult because there's more vowels. If you see my middle name and see my last name, you'll be like, oh my gosh, very ethnic, which it is because I'm Kenyan. But it's like, so that part has yeah. been a little bit difficult. But I always stand like 
in my ground of always correcting, yeah. even if it is a judge. I'm like, I don't care who you are. This is how you say my name. Um, and it's if it's going to be the court reporter typing my correction in there. Yeah. Great. That's fine. But that part, I think, has been a little bit difficult in always having to say or correct pronunciation of my name or cor- correct perceptions yeah. of being like, no, I am the lawyer. That's that's me. Yeah. I'm not a client or someone waiting for something else. Like, it's me here. Do you do you think that they're because you're a black woman when they see you they because they're not used to seeing black women lawyers I mean Omaha does not have a lot of black women lawyers and when they see you they're automatically like huh this is just a this is a different situation and then they're like and now it's different and I look at a name that I've not seen before well my name is not common either but it's they don't they try Mm -hmm. with your do you think maybe on you know part of it is because they see a black woman and then they see I mean your first name is super like right very simple (laughs) yeah so it's the last name yeah and then they're like oh like it's it's like added a layer to it like if you were a white woman with the same name I, I'm guessing the struggle wouldn't be as high. I think I think that's true. Yeah. I think that a lot of it is that when people see foreign sounding names, particularly when they're attached to brown or black people, yeah. they automatically like glaze over. Yeah. Like they don't even want to make the attempt to say it for fear of saying it wrong. If you say my name wrong, I'll correct you. I won't be rude about it. I'll just say, no, it's Katharima. Like I'm not going to be like, oh my right. God, why can't you say my name? You know, it's like, I'll just correct you and hopefully you'll retain it for the next time. But it's like sometimes people just like glaze over when they see a name that they don't recognize and then see it attached to a brown or black face or a black person. They're like, now they overcomplicate it even in their own heads. Yeah. Like they second guess themselves to the point where it's like, if you would have gone with your first bet, you probably would have been pretty close. But now that you second guessed it multiple times, you're putting in words and vowels and sounds into it that I'm like, where did you even? Yeah. The, the TH still makes the same sound. Yeah. Like it's, not like the, it's not like I changed the way it's the, the yeah. sounds that are being made with it. So I think it's just an, a product of I don't know if you want to call it colonialism, white supremacy or whatever, but it's I think the perception of particularly foreign names that are attached to brown people or black people are just always people really feel uncomfortable trying to say them. And I don't know if, again, if they're afraid of being offensive, it's like, okay, but if you don't know how to say it, then ask. You can ask. You can also ask someone how to say their name. Like I do that with my consults when I have a name that I don't recognize. I like ask them like did I say it correctly or is that is that am I saying it correctly or can you say it for me so I can hear you say it and then I'll remember yeah. it and it's like just as simple as that and then you just kind of move on because to honor that person to make sure you're referring to them correctly because everyone yeah. wants to be referred to correctly so <clears throat> I had a I had a client with a she was from Africa and she had a very common first name and her last name was um, she was from one of the French colony countries mm-hmm. and her last name, um, it, like yours, it looked, you know, when you looked at it on paper, but the way she accented it was a little bit different. And so we're at the trial and I said her name correctly. You know, the other side said the name correctly. The judge mispronounced it, caught himself, 
pronounced it correctly and then for the rest of the trial mispronounced it. And, you know, for my client, you know, this is a super important day, right? Your trial, all of, you know, your custody is getting decided, your assets are getting split and the person who's making the decision is saying your name incorrectly. You know, like how, how do, how does that affect people? I mean, maybe some people just are like, well, I'm so, I'm so used to it, Mm -hmm. which is not good, but it's it's not a thing. It is a thing. Like my cousin, her first name gets mispronounced often. And I remember that she used to say that she would be fine with it. And then in recent years, she's learned, you know, she's gotten people to pronounce it correctly. But I remember like I'd been visiting her and one of her friends was like, hey, where is she? And like said her name. And I was like, who? Like, (laughs) who are you talking about? And she's like, you know, and I'm like, that's not, and I got mad. I was like, that's not how her name said. And it's you're supposed like, to be her friend. Yeah, you're supposed to be her friend. Like, why don't you know how to say her name correctly? And I, I could understand, like, for that client, it's like, I just, I I understand that if the judge, you you feel a little bit personal about it. Because sure. like, just take the moment to, like, say it correctly or, like, ask how to say it or something like that. But it's like, particularly on a day as big as trial, you just want to be referred to yeah. in your with your correct name and it can it can feel sometimes dehumanizing when it's like happens consistently especially when it's like i've seen very difficult european names that have been said with ease and i'm just like y'all my name is like seven letters and it doesn't even have any anything in it you don't have a c z and k right next to each other right and so i was just like how did y'all like there'll be some european names that someone will pronounce and i'm like i would not have said that that's not how i would have said those words together but good to know that that's how it's said and then correct it for myself and remember it later but it's like you know different ways that people perceive it I had another trial where this is like a gender thing um, my client was a woman and a doctor and generally in trials we start referring to people as Mr. Or Mrs. Doctor their title and then their last name um, in this case everyone refused to call her doctor so and so except me And so when it was our turn to testify, I had her testify to her credentials, even though it wasn't really relevant to, you know, custody and money to. And I said, you know, you you're referred to as a doctor, like as your profession, correct? And she was like, yeah, I said, and is that what you would like everyone else in the courtroom to call you? And she paused for a minute because she was totally probably okay with being called. But in the moment, I was like, no, hold your ground. Show your power. You worked hard for that. You know, and and she was like, well, most people do call me doctor. And I was like, see, all you people in the courtroom, you know, this woman worked hard for this. Yeah, it's not relevant, like, to whether she should have custody, but it's important that we're addressing people the right way. Right. And in the way that they want to be referred to. Yeah. It's like, it's just something is, it's, it's a simple act of humanity to recognize someone and pronounce their name or say, or refer to them how they want to be referred to, because it's like you're honoring them and their personhood. And when you do it that way. And never, ever, ever, ever would anyone not, would ever call a male doctor, Mr. So-and-so. Right. No matter. Right. I mean, I'm guessing men who are doctors, their friends call them, you know, jokingly like, hey, doc. Yeah. You know, but nobody does that to women. Mm -hmm. So just a little step to be like, hmm, you don't get to don't hold yourself so highly. Like, how dare you? (laughs) Yeah. So at one year, so at one year plus 20 years, we decided that our our being lawyer, our lawyerhoodness, our lawyer, our lawyerness is 
of drinking age. Of drinking age. <laughs> so next time we should probably celebrate um, with some drinks with, instead yes. of ice cream. Yes. What will your custom drink be? Well, I tend to like drinks with either alcohol or either alcohol, mm-hmm. either vodka or gin. Those are my okay. two um, alcohol choices. What about you? Mine is usually rum or vodka, something sweet. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll have to think about a little bit more or a sweet wine. So thinking about joy at 20 years. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I can certainly say that this is not where I thought I would be when I was at one year. And honestly, I never celebrated uh, a work anniversary or a lawyer milestone ever before. Like I never was like, it's five years, it's 10 years, you know, like the big years. I never did that. I don't even, I mean, a lot of times people would be like, how long have you been practicing law? And I was like, let's see, I graduated. Okay, (laughs) do math, you know. So, you know, I... Like I said, I don't. I didn't think I would be in private practice as a managing partner of a firm. Mm-hmm. So, at, I'm. It's a little bit of a tricky question, maybe for you. Like, where do you where do I see myself yourself? in twenty years? I I don't think I've even thought that far, <laughs> honestly. How about one year? Let's go one more year. Yeah, <laughs> one year. Is, what are some one goals? year's more reasonable? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like twenty years. I'm like, oh my god. I was like thinking about how old I'll be. I'll be like, dang. Okay, I'll be almost fifty. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um. One year, I'm hoping to do some more pro bono work, um, do more estate planning. So holla at your girl for your estate planning needs. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to travel a little bit more, um, get a booster shot if I need it too for the vaccine. But um, professionally, just hoping to continue to develop my skills. I'm really excited to con- hopefully get a trial. I haven't had a trial yet in my first year. So. Hopefully a trial, though, if it's not obviously in the client's best interest. You know what that means? That means you're really good at either, first of all, picking the good cases to take (laughs) that clients are reasonable and probably going to consider settling, or, you know, you can see the forest through the trees and get your client to a good settlement agreement. It doesn't, so. it doesn't mean that you don't have skills. I also have the skills. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to just continue to hone my lawyering skills and continue to like fill my like personal life with fun things and fun adventures. And hopefully all the judges by the end of next year can pronounce your name. Yes. Hopefully I've, <laughs> I've appeared in front of all of, yes. enough of them for them to be like, yes, know who Joy Katharima is. So, or at least they know how to say Katharima. And when you get to be my age, people you went to law school with are now judges. Yes. <laughs> so that happens. They'll know how to say my name. Yes. So we'll go <laughs> we'll hope for the best for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been really fun, like our contrasting, you know, experiences, but yes. really a lot of the same stuff. Yes. Keep Some happening. of it is sad that it's still going on, but yeah. hopefully it'll continue to evolve and change as the times continue to change. Well, we know that we are working for change. Yes. We can't always make others. Right. Can only control yourself is what my therapist yeah. says. Yeah, so. there we go again. <laughs> Your own actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Joy. I really appreciated talking with uh, 21 years combined lawyering. Yeah. That was such a good conversation. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Lady Lawyer League podcast and be sure to like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. If you would like to learn more about our firm, Hightower Rep Law, please visit our website at hrlawomaha.com. We'll see you next week.